Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Today, I'll be reading Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to to all and on all who believe for their For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, from whom God sent forth as a a proclamation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because it's his forbearance God has passed over. Over, passed over the sin that we previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I read Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. Good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here today. What a blessing it is to be able to worship God. Uh, Before I get into the lesson this morning, before I forget, uh, just want to uh, make sure everyone knows the Fuson family. Paula's father is uh, in bad health, and um, I got word from uh, Brad this morning that uh, they don't expect him to survive the day. So if you could uh, please just uh, be praying for the Fusons, that would be a blessing to them, I'm sure. Sinless. You ever think about that word? You ever think about what it would be like to really truly live life sinlessly? Altogether, completely sinlessly. White as snow, pure, clean, righteous, wise, holy, godly. Want to be wonderful because, brothers and sisters, I'm very glad to say that that is our Savior's ultimate plan. And in the eyes of our Savior, not because of our works or anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us, all baptized believers in Jesus Christ who continue to faithfully strive to serve Him, whether we do it well or whether we do it poorly. 
are seen by the eyes of God as sinless because of having been washed in the blood of Christ. Our series is sinless. We're talking about how to understand sin and salvation in our lives and in our world in the eyes of God according to the truth. And last week we, we started a two-part sermon in this series called The Genesis of Sin and Salvation. And last week we focused mostly on the beginning of sin, how sin began, how sin came into our world. And we're going to pick up there and we're going to talk about really the beginning of salvation with more detail today. You know, the beginning chapters of the Bible, the first four especially uh, chapters of the Bible, uh, lay the, the groundwork for everything else. If you're reading something in the book of Isaiah, reading something in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, if you're reading the book of Romans, uh, whatever it is that you're reading anywhere else in the Scriptures, the book of Revelation, it's all built upon the foundation of the things that we read in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and on a little bit beyond that throughout that book. And so when we think about sin, we think about salvation, and even how we look at those in fully developed ways because of having the completed canon of Scripture. The Holy Spirit, through Christ, has given us 66 books of the Bible, and, and in these 66 books, we have everything that we need, everything that pertains to life and godliness, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, the gospel is once for all delivered to the saints there in the first century because of the work of the Holy Spirit, Jude verse 3. And so our understanding of sin and salvation is great beyond the understanding of any of our ancient brothers and sisters in Israel and before the calling of Abraham, but still, everything we know is simply a development of the simple truths we learn in these opening chapters of the Bible. Like I did last week, I'm going to read directly from the text. I've got the New King James Version here, which is the same as the Bibles in our pew. So if you'd like to follow along with me, you're welcome to. And if not, I would ask you uh, to read uh, or ask you to listen very carefully as I talk about just a little bit of these words. But my reading is going to begin in Genesis chapter 3, page 5 in your pew Bible, verse 21. Read to the end of the chapter and then pick up in chapter 4. And we're going to read the whole of chapter 4 together. And I want you to see in this reading uh, how the beginning of sin led to the beginning of salvation and what God did in these wonderful passages of Scripture. So starting in Genesis 3, verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, if you remember from our reading last week, or if you're simply familiar with the text of the beginning chapters of Genesis, you know that as soon as Adam and Eve disobeyed that commandment from God that forbade them to eat the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the moment they ate that fruit, their eyes were open to their own brand new sinfulness, and they realized the truth immediately about modesty, and they knew that they were naked and exposed before God, and so before God came walking in the garden to confront them, which he did, I imagine, rather soon. But they had time to sew together uh, loin coverings, is the Hebrew phrase. Loin coverings made out of fig leaves. And it's interesting that they immediately knew when they were sinners that their sin needed to be covered. That their exposed nature needed to be covered. Uh, but as is always the case when human beings, when mankind tries to figure out how to atone for our sins based on our own thoughts and methods and ideas, we always fall short. 
the, the concept of modesty. You know, we, we, we often say that, well, it's a cultural thing. Different cultures have different ideas about modesty, and it is true that different cultures have different ideas about modesty, but to say that the Bible doesn't speak to that subject is not true at all. Basically, Adam and Eve made loin coverings for themselves, and God wasn't content with that. Uh, God made the Hebrew word for these garments is the same word that would be translated as tunic, which is a garment that goes from neck to knees. So you do with that what you will. That's not really the most important point of this. The point of this is that their sinfulness had to be covered up or else they would be in danger to be in the presence of God. They had to be made clean again. They had to be made worthy to be in God's presence again in spite of their sin and of their evil. And, and oftentimes, I think as we read through this text, we might skip over a very, very important point. It's not explicitly talked about here. It's, it's just given there in the text. It's just God made for Adam and his wife tunics of skin, of animals' skin. I, I, again, I don't know if you've ever tried to make a garment out of an animal's skin, Maybe some of you have experienced with tanning leather or working with hides or something, and if you'd like to hunt, I don't know. But if you have, I wonder if you've ever been able to walk up to uh, an animal and say, hey, could I have your hide, please? Would you just give me that peacefully? I mean, I really don't want to fight. I, I just want your skin. Can I have it? Uh, you know what you have to do to an animal to get its skin, right? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's what the Hebrew writer tells us. And we see that beginning here. God told Adam and Eve that in the day that they ate of the fruit of that tree, they would surely die or their death would be sure. And in fact, they deserved to die right that day. But God did not want to kill them. He didn't want to destroy them. Because even though God is a perfectly just God, He is also perfectly a loving God. And flowing from His love is His mercy and His grace. So he will do justice. Justice will be done. But justice without mercy is cold and it's hard and it's destructive. And none of us can stand up in the face of pure, unmitigated justice. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, what I know most of you already know. If God really does justice on you because of your sins, you are in big, eternal trouble. Amen. You don't want God's justice on your sins directly on you. You, you need a plan. You need some way that justice can be done so that, that God will continue to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. That's a phrase now for three weeks that I hope you've been listening to in our scripture reading from Romans chapter 3. And I promise you, as we continue to pursue this series, we're going to explore that text that we're reading week after week, Romans 3, 19 through 26 because in, in, a, in a very concise form, that passage tells us that the whole of God's plan of salvation is just about that. It's about God preserving his own justice, being a perfectly just God, and at the same time, justifying sinners who deserve to be punished on the simple basis of their faith in Christ Jesus, who paid the death price that our sins demand. So continuing then, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. 
And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim, that is angels, at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Verse, or chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel was a herdsman. He took care of livestock and animals. Cain was, uh, well, he was a, a farmer, a gardener, a planter of, of crops. Verse 4, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Oh, oh, hold on, verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought, now notice what it says in verse 3. It says that Cain brought an offering. It's a good thing, right? He brought an offering to God, an offering of the fruits of his harvest, of what he had done, the fruit of his work. He brought that offering to God. That's just all the text says. It just, he brought an offering, okay? Now we have verse 4. Abel also brought, now notice the language here. It's not a coincidence. It's purposeful, the language. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Abel brought the best he had. Doesn't say that Cain did that. Just says he brought something. Significant? I think so. The Lord, the end of verse 4, and the Lord respected Abel or had regard for Abel's offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So hear me just for a moment. Genesis is telling us how things got started. But it doesn't tell us things that we don't really need to know. But there are some things that are implied here. You see, why are they bringing an offering to God? How did they know that they should do that? Obviously, after their expulsion from the Garden of Eden... God has communicated to Adam and his family, the first family, our most ancient ancestors. He's communicated to them that they need to be coming to him, interacting him, with him in a way that we would call religion. All right, that word wouldn't be invented for a long time to come. But God told that first family that they needed to interact with him in some kind of religious way. And that was going to involve making offerings. Now we know that the principle throughout Scripture from beginning to end if this is a sin offering, if this was a sin offering that they were making, here's Cain's big problem, regardless of whether he brought his best. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. If you want your sins atoned for, they will be atoned for through death. And if there is not the shedding of blood in death, there is no payment being made for sin, and God will not accept that offering, and he will not accept you. Now, the text doesn't say that this was a sin offering. And we know that from the ancient world, there were all kinds of ways that people tithed to God and made offerings of God, free will offerings, celebration, harvest offerings, and all of these sorts of things. If it wasn't a sin offering, well, then, well, of course, they could bring whatever it is that they had. Abel had animals, and Cain had the fruit of the ground. And so there would be no problem with that. And so if that's the case, then it was simply the heart of the worshiper that mattered. Because Abel came with the right heart. He came with reverence for God, with real respect for God. 
He came to offer God the best that he had to show his love for God and his gratitude for God and his worship for God. And Cain, well, he just brings something that he's got, which is an act of disrespect. We think today, and I won't go into this in detail, but when the tray comes around on Sundays or those other opportunities both in church and outside of the church in your world for you to give in a way that would be pleasing to God. If it's just something that, oh, here comes the tray. I didn't think about this. Let me get out my wallet and see what I've got. I want you to understand that's not, that's not really the, the way that God wants you to think about giving to him. He wants it to be an act of worship, an act of intent, something that you've thought about, something that you have made a decision to be sacrificial about in some way. God wants you to give in a way that shows to him that you value him above all else and that you are deeply grateful for what he's done for you. God has given you his best beyond compare. He's given you his only begotten son to be mocked and spat upon and abused by us, to be scourged and to die in our places in agony on the cross. He has given us the very best that could be given. The least we can do is have a little bit of thought process in how we give back to the Lord with our lives. Amen? That's been true since the beginning. Now, I'm going to say more about the problem between Cain and Abel before we're done, but let's move on with our reading for the sake of time. So the Lord said to Cain, verse 6, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. There's the beginning of God teaching us to fight against temptations to sin, to resist with all we've got. Verse 8, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him, murdered his brother. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Cain, therefore, whoever kills Cain, whoever kills Cain, therefore, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. By the way, a phrase that will be used in the New Testament to describe the sentence of being cast into hell, being cast into outer darkness away from the presence of the Lord. And there's the genesis of that idea here in this passage. And he dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and on we could go in this passage, but I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 25. Of course, Cain's family just becomes grievously wicked, and his descendants each generation just become... Uh, so much more evil than Cain, and they abused the mercy of God where God in his mercy had, had uh, compassion on Cain, and he put this mark on him so that no one would, would kill him, which would have been just because he was a murderer, but God in his mercy puts this mark on Cain so that no one will kill him, and rather than being grateful to God and saying, I'm going to 
turn things around for my family and I'm going to raise up my children to understand how greatly God has shown compassion on me. Cain gets bold about it. He thinks I'm above the law now. And so every generation of Cain's descendants just grow more and more wicked. And that's what we read in this text. And so we come down to verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Notice the end of Genesis 4. Then men, then people, then humanity began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to call on the name of the Lord, which is a sort of uh, figure of speech to say that then people began to walk devoutly in religion, in spirituality, in prayer, in interaction before their God. And so we see in this context, uh, the, these last two weeks, last Sunday and today, we see how sin came into the world. And, and even though, like we talked about last week, Adam and Eve could not have known all of the repercussions of their mistake. They could not see all of the broken families over the, the years of life. They couldn't see all the abused children. They couldn't see all the carnage of war. They couldn't see all of the, the disease and the poverty and the affliction and the injustice that would come from their decision. God didn't have to spell it all out because he told them the price would be death. And all of these things that we see in our world today, all of the things that unbelievers raise up as their case against Almighty God, as if somehow there is no God because of the presence of the evil in this world, they're misunderstanding the source of it. God told us from the start, if you mess with sin, it will kill you. If you mess with sin, it will destroy you. If you mess with sin, it will break your civilizations. It will destroy your homes. It will ruin society. So I'm telling you, in the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. What else did God need to say to tell them they needed not to mess with this fruit? We in our lives, we, especially those raised up in the house of the Lord and being taught by parents that are faithful to God, they warn us about sin. And yet, what do we do? You know the answer to the question. What do we do? We do it anyway, don't we? All of us do, Romans 3.23. It's not righteous, not even one. Romans 3, verse 10. So let's not shake our fists at God. Let's not get mad at Adam and Eve as if you wouldn't have done the same thing. If it was Josh and Keisha in the garden, the same story would have unfolded, just been different names. You fill in the names of people in your life, and if you've ever sinned, you know it's true because you knew better to do what you did, and you did it anyway. So did they. All right, so you're a son or your daughter of Adam and Eve. You're a little copy of Adam running around or you're a little copy of Eve running around. Based on your own mindset, your own thoughts, your own work, your own plans in life, that's what you came. At some point in time in your adolescence, you bought into Adam's nature or you bought into Eve's nature and you said, yeah, I'm going to try this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil thing out for myself because this sounds like it's going to be fun or this is going to make me look cool or there's going to be some kind of payoff for this in some way, so I'm going to give it a shot and I'm just going to trust that all of the things that I've been taught by my parents and grandparents and other folks in my life, things that I've heard in church, things that I know are in the Bible, I'm just going to go ahead and trust that none of that actually going to come true in my life because I'm so great that God is just going to deliver me from all of that and he's going to let me mess around with the force 
of death and not die. That's not the way God works. You mess with death, you die. If you embrace the rule of death, you die. It's the way it must be. It happens if you turn the burner on hot on your stove and touch it. You get burned, right? It's the way of the world. Because God is not interested in robots any more than we are, brothers and sisters. God did not create androids. He created human beings made in his likeness who are free. We're free to think. We're free to decide. We're free to do what, we're, what we want to do as long as we live this life. It's love that gives us that freedom because God is seeking relationship. Relationship. God doesn't need a, something to boost his ego. God doesn't need the, the masses of the world to bow down to him so that he can sit up in heaven and say, well, I am pretty great after all. But God already knows, brothers and sisters, you listening to me? God already knows good and well how great he is. He doesn't need us. Paul says in Acts chapter 17, preaching on Mars Hill outside of Athens, he said, God is not served by man's hands as if he needed anything, seeing that he gives to all life and breath and everything. That's the truth. And so that burner is hot so that if I'm foolish enough to stick my finger on it, I get burned so that I learn good, evil, right, wrong, foolish, wise. Does that make sense? It's in my best interest that the world be ordered the way that it is. Are you listening, brothers and sisters? It's in our best interests that God has ordered the world the way that it is because he wants us to grow, to seek him, to choose him, to become great. And that will only happen if we engage in the wrestling match against sin. And we do what our ancient brethren did, beginning with Seth, the third son, and we decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to live my life calling on the name of the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. Brothers and sisters, however bad you may have it in life, maybe you have a charmed life and all will be well for you, and I, I hope for your sake that's the case. But no matter how bad it may get in this life, brothers and sisters, if you live the life that Seth chose to live and his descendants leading to Noah, leading to Abraham, leading to Israel and all the greats in Israel, leading to the birth of Christ and to the establishment of the church, if you decide to live life calling upon the name of the Lord, giving him credit, bowing down to him, worshiping him, striving to understand and learn his will and obey it, if you will do that, my friend, no matter how much you may have to suffer in this life, God in his almighty power is going to see to it that things end well for you beyond what you can even imagine or expect. That's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, between the sinful now and sinless eternity is the time for sacrifice. It's the time for sacrifice. Jesus, our Lord, has exemplified that. He fulfilled the type or the symbol that God created 
when he took the hide off of whatever animal or animals he sacrificed to himself for their sakes so that he didn't have to destroy them right there on the spot. But Jesus is what all of that was pointing to. I really hope that this makes sense to you. Let's break this down just for the next few minutes and make sure that we understand what we've learned about the genesis of salvation. Being saved from sin involves, number one, God. You cannot save yourself. And Adam and Eve could not save themselves. There's nothing that they could do to save themselves once they became sinners. It required God. God did not run from their sin. Listen, God is not a sissy. God is not squeamish. God is not scared. God is not afraid. Sin can't touch him. Coming into your sinful presence doesn't taint him. It simply humbles and exposes you. So God didn't run from Adam and Eve. He didn't abandon Adam and Eve. Just as he's never run from us and he never abandons us. Ultimately, as long as we're still alive in this life, God is still seeking us to save us. It's what he wants to do above all of our things because he loves us. And if you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved by God. You cannot work your way out of being a sinner. It has to be atoned for. Forgiveness has to be granted to you through grace by an act of God, the one you've sinned against. And the Bible is clear from beginning to end. And we will talk more about this in future lessons in this series, Lord willing. But a blood sacrifice is absolutely required because justice must be done. If sin has occurred, its price is death, Romans 6, 23. And so if you've sinned, something's got to die. Either you got to die or somebody's got to die in your place. And those are your only options or else you'll bear your own sins and the eternal death that is the punishment they deserve. And this requires priestly intercession because if, if blood is going to be applied to you but your hands are sinful, how can you with sinful hands uh, somehow get a hold of holy blood without tainting it with your own sin and apply it to yourself? And so God is, is, is the one who serves in the first role as a priest. God is. Who else was there? Adam couldn't serve as his own priest. He was the sinner that needed to be reconciled with the God he'd sinned against. Eve couldn't serve as her own priestess, but she was a sinner. She was the one needing to be reconciled with God. Somebody had to go between the parties, the wounded party, the one sinned against God and the sinner, and there was nobody there, so God did it himself. Sound familiar? You see, it's the genesis of sin and salvation. Because all the prophets bear witness to what we finally read in the gospel accounts. That because, again, even with the law having given to mankind and the rivers of blood that flowed from the altar in Jerusalem for hundreds and hundreds of years, all of that being the case, it was still true that, that human beings cannot save ourselves. So at the right time, God became a man in the person of Jesus. And what did he come do? He became the priest. And he interceded between us and his father to save us from our sins. You see how this works? There's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. you got to be covered by grace. Covered by grace. Are you familiar with Galatians 3, verse 27? Keep that in mind. Salvation is God's gift offered on His terms, all of which amount to faith. 
Hebrew writer in chapter 11 tells us that by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I just heard it this past week on television. Again, someone on television telling all the world what faith is. Some person that knows nothing about the Word of God trying to tell the whole TV viewing audience what faith is. And this is supposed to be a really religious person. They say, well, faith is believing in something that you can't prove or you don't have evidence for. And that nothing could be farther from the truth. That is not at all what the Bible teaches about faith. The Bible is the evidence that enables us to come to faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and the word of Christ, Romans 10, verse 17. So how did Abel know what he was supposed to do in his offering to God? Whether it was supposed to be a blood offering, if it was a sin offering, or whether it was simply a free will offering or a thank offering, and they were just supposed to bring their best. In either case, we don't have testimony of it, but we have the implication of it. God told Cain what to do, and he didn't do it. Do I need to repeat that? Why wasn't Cain's offering accepted? Because God had told him how to make an offering, and in some way or another, he disobeyed that. And so God didn't accept his offering. Does that make God a meanie? Some people think so. Well, if God won't let me live whatever way I want to live, then why do I need to serve God? Fine, go die. I'm not trying to be hard on anybody. I'm just saying if that's what you choose, choose death if you want to. Go ahead and choose death if you want to. Remember the words of Peter. When Jesus said when folks were leaving him, when they were departing him, and Jesus turned to the disciples and said, you're going to leave too? Remember what Peter said? Lord, where will we go? You have the words of life. Nobody else does. Adam and Eve had a choice between two. It was two trees. Cain and Abel had a choice between two. Bring offerings to God. Practice religion according to his rules, his terms. That's what faith does. Or not. Abel chose right. Cain chose wrong. Seth is born. Now correction has taken place. And from his lineage, people begin to call on the name of the Lord. In other words, they begin to listen to God. And they begin to decide, I'm going to live my life responding to what I've heard from God. What God tells me to do, I'm going to make my best good faith effort to do. Brothers and sisters, that's what spiritual people do. And don't listen to folks in our world today. They want to pit spirituality against religion and say that religion is bad. That's just another lie of the devil. Religion is right there in Genesis chapter 4. The first thing that God does when sin entered the world is give us religion. The word religion comes from a Latin word which means realignment. It's to be realigned with God. If you're not a religious person, then you are not aligned with God. Is that fair enough? Plain enough? And it needs to be true religion. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God. For he that would come to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And again, Romans 10, 17, there's only one way to come to faith, and that is through God's revelation, through his word. God's beautiful plan of salvation is love. Romans 5 and verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And that begins there in Genesis 3. God showed his love for Adam and Eve, and that when they became sinners, he gave them the messianic prophecy of Genesis 3.15 and said, I'm going to kill my son to save you. And he killed an animal in their place to begin teaching them the principle of blood atonement so that they could then realign their lives with him by living in the religion that he would reveal. That's love that has given us that. It's the grace of God that has given that. You know Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, salvation comes from God. You can't save yourself. If you'd be saved by God, or you won't be saved at all. If you think, well, I'm going to live my way, and I'm going to do things my way, and I'm going to try to be a good person, and I think I'm going to earn my way into heaven, you're choosing death because you can't do it. It's not that God's being mean. It's that God's been truthful, and you're not listening. It's that world. God has been truthful, and you're not listening. You can't save yourself. You've got to come to him. Truth. All will be condemned who do not believe the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12. Jesus is ultimately the truth, but the Bible is the revelation of that truth. John 17 and verse 17. And all of this teaches us about the essentiality of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And of course, the first step in the human response to that is faith. And faith can be broken down into three component parts. And unless your faith has all three of these component parts, it is not biblical faith. First of all is belief itself. So many people just want to say that's all faith is, is belief. Uh, James 2 settles that and shows that that's not true. Faith is more than just belief, but it does begin with belief. Jesus says in John 8 and verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, that is the Messiah, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe. Belief has got to trust. We are to trust in Christ Jesus. And really, if we're going to pick one of these words that is the real hard or core definition of faith, it is that word trust. And if I trust, then I'm going to obey. If God says, like he does through Jesus in Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, how do I show God that I trust him? By believing and being baptized. If you say, well, I believe, but I don't want to be baptized, well, you don't trust in God. You don't believe his word. And therefore, even if you say you believe in God, you're not a person of faith. When we obey the gospel, just like Adam and Eve were, set better, we're clothed, we're covered by the sacrifice. Galatians 3.27, Paul says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ were clothed with Christ. As they were clothed with the skins of those slain animals, we are clothed, covered, covered in the righteousness of the slain God-man, Jesus our Lord. And the Bible teaches us that baptism, baptism is that point of obedience in which our faith comes to life and we avail ourselves of the blessing of the sacrifice and the door is open not only to life in this world that is good and right with God, 
but eternal life in the age to come. You've heard the plan of salvation maybe for the first time. I don't know. But if you're here this morning and you're a person who's old enough that you know you're accountable, you can answer for your own actions. You know you're a sinner. And listen, if you've never made right with God about that, you're not ready to meet him. You're abiding in death. And eternal death is your destiny unless somehow the sin price gets paid by somebody else. And I'm going to tell you this, brothers and sisters, there is nobody who can pay it but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you will confess your belief in him based upon the decision to turn over and give your life to him in repentance today, we can baptize you in this warm water today. Your sins will be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. This morning, if you are a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, the front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.